0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson, and there's a, a lot to get to today. Um, it's, it's a bit of an exciting day here in the college football world. Uh, yes, we do have some updates on the Michigan State job after Mark D'Antonio announced that he was stepping down. Uh, yes, we do have some of your questions answered because it's a mailbag Monday, and yes, it is the debut of the Cover 3 Book Club, so a uh, lot to get to. Gentlemen, how are we feeling on this Monday afternoon?
2: I'm great because now I could finally hear Barton.
3: That's right. Yeah, we've been – this has been we're, – we're minute one of the podcast, but minutes 18 of Barton dealing with tech technical stuff that Barton has very good at, so sorry. Sorry, guys.
0: I mean, it's it is truly amazing that uh, when the the Yale graduate has to say he has to go history find a major nerd, the history <laughs> yeah the, the history major from Yale, uh, Mr. Ivy League has to go find a nerd to get things fixed. But
3: nerds rule the world.
0: Nerds do rule the world. You're coming through, uh, thanks to the hard work at 24/7 Sports uh, to be able to get all this stuff done. So uh, over the weekend. Luke Fickle, who we mentioned was going to likely be a a target and likely going to be someone that Michigan State would look at. The question was, what would Luke Fickle want to do? So he entertained the job, spoke with Michigan State, but Michigan State did not secure the hire, though I'm sure that the next whoever Michigan State hires is probably going to be the only person we offered because you know, no jobs are ever offered until they're accepted. But Luke Fickle uh, makes, it, makes it very clear through back channels and, and sort of with his own commitment, I, I am staying with Cincinnati. So now the the turn for Michigan State, if you're trying to get someone on on right now, has included Brett Bielema, who it does not currently have a head coaching job. And then it has also included... I mean, didn't we hear it? Jim McElwain, who's over there at Central Michigan, if he would be able to get this opportunity? I mean, where... Where is the Michigan State job search uh, in in your mind? I guess Barton. In like, where are they right now? Are they in a healthy position?
3: Hell no! Okay. This, I didn't yeah, think so. Is, they're, they're they're up the creek right now, and I honestly think that this is sort of the perfect job for Luke Fickle. Um, but it had to come open a month or two months ago, and I totally understand. And I would expect, I would have been surprised, and we talked about it here, I would have been surprised if he had taken that job in February. But if this job was open next December, or even this past December, I think it's like a no-brainer. Um, but he's got the best, probably the best team in the group of five. He's got definitely the best recruiting class of the group of five coming in. He's, when USC comes open potentially, when... Maybe Lincoln Riley goes to the NFL, and maybe Dan Mullen goes to the NFL. When, whatever the crazy coaching carousel thing happens, Luke Fickle after this season, where he's you know they could go thirteen to zero or something, uh, he's going to be the number one guy. And so why you know why leave? And you remember when you guys, I don't know about y'all, but when I would play uh, like college football, NCAA football on uh, on Xbox or PlayStation, and you're you start at whatever small school, and you sort of build up a team, and then you change to the next one. It was always really tough to leave after you just signed some baller ass recruiting class, and you were <laughs> like, you know what? I kind of these guys are so good, I want to just play with these guys. Uh, I mean, Luke Fickle just signed a baller recruiting class, and it's not like he got I, I mean, got, coaches leave, but that's a really tough conversation to have when you just sign these guys. They are on campus in a lot of cases. And one of them is the highest rated group of five commit. And this kid, Evan Prater that we've seen in years since, um, at Oliver at Houston. So I get all that. So that's my, that's the fickle thing for me. And then the other side of it is okay. Now who, who's going to come? I, I, I think Mike Tressel would just further sink Michigan State into this malaise. And then, uh, you know, Brett Bielema, uh, maybe uh, uh, Jim McElwain. uh, eh. I think the the only one left out there that seems, without sort of going into the, the coordinator ranks, of which I still think there's plenty of good ones out there, but in the head coach ranks, the only one that kind of makes sense that Mike would leave and is probably a good fit, I think Justin Wilcox makes sense. I mean, he's, he's a defensive guy. He's, yeah. I think you're you not going to stay at Cal if you have an opportunity like Michigan State. There's just not enough football resources there, I don't think, to make it worth your while long term. I think if he gets a Michigan State opportunity, I think that's one that, that to me, you jump whenever the time comes, whenever but, the regardless of when the time is. But
2: is Wilcox somebody who might think, you know, like West Coast guy? I mean, he's from Oregon. He's coaching at Cal. Do you think that he'd want to come to East Lansing?
3: I mean, he's coached at Wisconsin. He's 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 made stops outside of the West Coast.
2: Yeah, I just wonder if for him though, now that he's got like a head coaching, because I mean, he was only at Wisconsin for a year, and he was at at Tennessee State for a while, right? Yeah. So I just I just wonder if he would. Considering he's already got a power five gig now obviously you know money money can be a great influencer but i just wonder if since he's already got a power five gig and he's out on the west coast he's from the west coast if he would want to take another power five gig in an area that he hasn't spent a ton of time in
3: but didn't sonny dykes just basically say like yeah you know what i'm i'm good on this cow stuff i'll I'll leave and go coach SMU. Do you so
0: you're suggesting that it just might be one of those places where like you get there and you look around and if you don't love being in Berkeley that it might not be uh worth the squeeze.
3: Yeah, I mean and and I don't know, you look around and it's not a it's not exactly a rabid football environment no. out there in Berkeley. So I mean, maybe, maybe Justin Wilcox Cox likes that. you got some job security in a situation like that. But, yeah. I'd just I to also feel this. like
2: he's in a position, too, where Cal might be pretty decent next year. So he's kind of like in a similar situation as Fickle, where it's like I don't know if he's ready to kind of cut bait on that because he might find himself in a similar position to Fickle next year where maybe there's a better opportunity for him on the West Coast. Like, let's say Cal has a very good year. And maybe Clay Helton doesn't.
3: Yeah. Yeah, but would Clay would USC really go after? It? I don't. I don't know, man. That does, I don't know. That does not saying. seem like a. I don't this, think this strikes me as the next next step up for Wilcox. That makes sense. I don't see him. I don't see Justin Wilcox getting like he could get a, a Michigan State equivalent job somewhere, and I'm sure those opportunities will be there. But I don't see Justin Wilcox being a. a a top candidate, now maybe like a backup that they get to down the list, but a top candidate for like the the blue blood jobs.
2: I, I just don't view Michigan State as a sexy enough job to pull a sitting power five coach who's not already kind of looking to get out. You know what I mean? And especially if you look at a lot of the stuff that's gone on in that Michigan State athletic department the last few years. And I think, you know, there was just a story in the free press about, Part of the reason Fickle turned down Michigan State was, you know, the the Nasser stuff and every like just the kind of culture going on in that athletic department the last few years that is really not interested in trying to help dig them out of. And that's why I wonder why if that's not gonna play a role with other coaches too, because I think that it's you know, it's in a way, it's you look at the stuff that has happened in that athletic department. And then there's also that factor of you don't want to be the guy to replace the guy. And I know that things kind of had a bad end at the last few years where they were, you know, the highs, they were past their high point of being in the college football playoff. But I also think that when you look at what Mark D'Antonio was able to do at Michigan State, he's kind of like the guy. And I don't know if that's somebody you want to be replacing.
0: It's going to be tough for Michigan State. Uh... It's going to be tough for – if Michigan State's administration, like if they continue to let this thing drag out and if this continues to be a a hiring process that takes a really long time and and has lots of starts and stops and interviews and and twists and turns, then it's going to be really tough for that administration, whoever the head coach is, to have a very high bar for expectation because – the whoever is going to be leading this football program is going to have so many things stacked against them, and so many other pieces that are still being tied up around the athletic department. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I look so uh, another one. Pat Narduzzi, also, you know, he came out and <laughs> he did the he, he did a very bad yeah he did a very bad Photoshop of the Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> I loved it, Pat. It was great. Keep doing mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We liked it. But so he decides he wants to stay at Pitt. Uh, you know, Luke Fickle wants to stay at Cincinnati. You know, you mentioned this recruiting class.
3: Decides he's going to stay at Colorado. Wow. Like Robert Saleh, the, the 49ers defense coordinator decides he's going to yep backs off there too.
2: That was never an, like a connection that made sense to me because that dude's going to have an NFL gig. Within a year or two. So it's like I when I saw his name like as a I was like, why? Why in the world would he leave what he has for Michigan State? It's not a I don't mean that to sound bad about Michigan State. I just mean that's an NFL head coach right there. Why would why would he go to a college scott right now?
0: When when the job was opened, I was defending it as a top twenty five job. And if I only use if my data is the responses of all these other head coaches, then I don't think Michigan State is a top 25 job right now. It might – it can be a top 25 mm-hmm. job. It can be a top 15 job probably. But I, right now, based on the way that other head coaches – and timing is 100% a factor here, but just based yes. on who these coaches are, the fact that they're all saying thanks but no thanks, I don't think Michigan State at this moment is a top 25 job.
2: I mean, I, I, I wonder if this is a situation where, you know, they kind of just need their Bill Cubit or somebody like, you know, just to, just to don't want a bullet. Yeah. For a year and then go in fresh. They're Matt Luke. Yeah. And maybe, maybe that per- like, you don't know. I mean, Mike Tressel might win games. Mike Trussell might be the guy, and are you look around at what's available right now, or at least not what's available, but who's genuinely going to be interested? It's like, do we know that Burt is a huge upgrade over Mike Trussell at this point? I I don't. I know he isn't name value.
3: So I do think that's an interesting point, in that if you go Mike Trussell, you're almost saying like, all right, we're gonna take a take a shot on this guy, but if it isn't looking good year 1, year 2, like we can we can move on him, we could give him a, a, a contract that's that's uh, university friendly and no one's going to you know, we're not going to get too much heat for that. Whereas mm-hmm. if you go Bielema or or anyone else outside the, the the family, you 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 have to give them basically a fair shake and like you can't give
0: 16 million dollars to Brett Bielema.
3: Yeah. Certainly you certainly can't then fire him after two years and expect him to you know you certainly can't then expect him to 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 win eight or nine games. Yeah,
0: i I think I think what we'll continue to see. I mean, Michigan State is obviously making a lot of uh, moves to try and and make a hire, but I would not be surprised if we do end up uh, right back with Mike Trestle as our as as the the star of the show when uh, the Spartans take the field next year. And this would be hilarious. Uh Yeah,
3: that'd be, I mean, hey, why not? That's, that's, I mean, there's still, uh, there's still good coaches out there. That's the thing. It's just, you gotta. Yeah,
2: there's no coach right now, I think, that Michigan State can hire where everybody's going to be happy with it. There's no home run hire to make. So you're either going into next season with Mike Trestle and people disappointed, or you're going in with somebody who people are going to be disappointed about, but costs a lot more money. And you're kind of tied to.
3: Or, or. Okay, yeah, right. Like you could, or you could make a swing for a home run higher. That isn't going to look like a home run when you hire him. Like just mm-hmm. just have faith in your in your hiring process and go say, Chris C- Creighton's the guy, or Jason Candle's the guy, or one of these stud coordinators out there is the guy. And and just take your lumps up front that people aren't going to be happy with it initially. But it'd be hilarious if Mike Trestle was the coach because now we're we're like three years in of everyone getting on Mark D'Antonio for not firing (laughs) over his staff. (laughs) And then he's finally gone and just an assistant pops up and keeps everyone in place. And (laughs) I mean, I mean, that would, that'd be the worst.
0: That's just paying back, paying it back. Right. Football guy. Mark D'Antonio is a classic football guy
3: or
2: just hire Jeff Munkin and go option. Mm, There you go.
0: Uh, we'll, one quick mailbag question before we get into uh, he- other headlines because it, it factors right in. Question from Tea time 126. What's the future of the program after Mark D'Antonio? Will Michigan State ever get back to the college football playoff? Ever? Will Michigan State ever get back to the CFP?
3: Like, like into the year... Three thousand. I mean, I think I think they'll get there. Yeah, they can. I I, uh, I, I think Michigan State absolutely you could get a good hire,
2: especially once it expands to like thirty-two teams, and you got a really good shot. <laughs> <laughs> That's
3: right. That's right.
0: <laughs> I th- I think that Michigan State probably won't make the four-team playoff again before it expands to eight
2: probably, yeah, I think probably will run. not I think that expansion is their best bet going forward.
0: Yeah. There's six more years of the 14 playoff. I do not think Michigan state in these six years will make the college football playoff.
3: Yes. We're, we're, we're a few iterations of Michigan state away from them being a, a true playoff team in the sense that our man's talking about there. But, I, but it's just like, there's, it's a huge school. If you get someone in there that can recruit, it's got a it's got a good fan base. I mean, there's no reason to think Michigan State doesn't have a playoff ceiling, but we're a long way away from the the steps that are necessary to get to that ceiling.
0: Let me uh, follow that up because I like the way this was sort of uh, why that the way that was framed. So we Michigan State probably not going to be making the college football playoff in the next six years. Those potentially could be the last six years of a 14 playoff. Do you think that the Michigan Wolverines will make the college football playoff in the next six years? Uh, no, I'm going to say, yes, I'll be hopeful. I'm going to say, yeah, they can get one in the next six years. Harbaugh has got to have one. He'll, Jim Harbaugh will get one Michigan team to the college football playoff. They'll probably lose in the semifinals, but he's going to get an appearance.
3: But that is exactly the Michigan argument for everything is this assumption of like, Oh, Harbaugh, it's Harbaugh. I mean, I can't, you know, but it's got to, like Harbaugh's got to do it at some point. He's got to beat Ohio state at some point. He's got to get in the playoffs at some point. He's got to get a quarterback at some point. Like that's at some point, we have to stop using that as an argument for Michigan.
0: No, my argument is that the teams have been good under Jim Harbaugh. He has had good football teams.
3: Yes, yeah. doesn't have yes. a great team.
0: Doesn't yes. ha- hasn't has not had a great team. And that my I, my bet on Michigan across the next six years is that one of these goods stumbles into being great.
1: I
2: mean, I I, I think Michigan's odds are far better than Michigan State's to make a fourteen playoff. It's just I don't I don't see the path right now in the next 6 years. I just think that unless Ohio State falls off a cliff, which is possible, maybe Ryan Day, you know, makes a wrong turn, but I just feel like right now it's in the Big 10, it's either going to be Ohio State or somebody from the west who has a good season and has a good night against Ohio State in Indianapolis.
3: That's kind of the way I see it too. I I think Ohio State's got to show a a chink in the armor. I it's just—I mean, to me, it's recruiting. I mean, I just—I—I'm I, going to need to see something change on the recruiting trail. Not—not not that they're recruiting poorly, but I don't have confidence that they're recruiting good enough to make the playoffs. But look, I, I mean, maybe I'm being unfair because making the playoffs and winning a national championship are, are different, and so. Jake, yeah, I, I mean jake like,
0: browning made the playoffs
3: right i mean you yes in the right year where the right team's down and you know the, you get the bounces you need and sure I, yeah i mean i i could see it uh i guess what i just i just, I just don't see cha- national championship maybe is, is is why i was being maybe that's where I, I i was meant to be more emphatic
0: do you think penn state makes the college I, I, I think they're closer the like I, I think yeah. Penn State's
3: closer to me that, I guess that's a f- which I don't know Michigan's who's been the better program generally speaking over the last say four years
0: I give Penn State if we can stretch it back to Penn State's Big Ten Championship I think the Big Ten Championship matters and they've got a couple of like other like a Rose Bowl a cotton bowl. They've got a couple other like new year six appearances that I think Michigan might be a little bit short of.
2: Yeah. It's weird because on the one hand, Michigan has performed better against Penn state than it has like a lot of other top schools. But I still think that overall Penn state's been the better program. That's my hunch too.
3: Yeah. But it's without, without digging deep into the resumes, that's, that's my impression too.
0: Um, and then I don't need to dig too deep into the resumes I, th- I do think Ohio State's going to be in the college football playoff in the next six years. Maybe, I would bet on that, yeah. Maybe four or five times. Maybe. Maybe all six. Uh, <laughs> coming up on the other side, more of your questions and our answers
1: next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?
3: Before we get into the mailbag, there was a few assistant coaching carousel stuff I I, I kind of thought might be interesting to run through.
0: Yeah, not. Y'all
3: good with that? Yeah, for sure. Should I dive in? Yeah, go for it. So, uh, um, I thought a couple interesting things started popping lately on the carousel. First of all, have y'all seen how how this Tennessee staff has turned over? Yes. (laughs) So... I'll run it run run through it here. Uh defensive line coach Tracy Rocker to South Carolina. Outside linebacker coach Chris Rump to the Texans. Inside linebacker Kevin Shearer to the Giants. I want to talk about that Giants staff in a minute. Wide receiver coach David Johnson to Florida State. Director of player personnel, Drew Hughes to South Carolina. That's pretty that's pretty serious turnover right there. Yes. They, that's- they hired Jay Grand, they promoted Joe Osavat, Osov, Osovet, Osavet. Uh, they got Jimmy Brumbaugh from Colorado, Shelton Felton from Akron. So they've I mean, they filled them all, but like that's just that's I thought it was pretty. That's <laughs> some serious movement there,
0: and all of that after getting a top ten class on board.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. Makes me yeah. wonder, like, is like is, is, is Pruitt just a um, he, he comes from the Saban coaching tree I, I bet he grinds those guys pretty good
2: yeah <laughs> I mean
3: I just it's like we've
2: talked about it kind of in a way before I just feel like you get the sense that working or playing for jeremy Pruitt is not something anybody <laughs> wants to do for more than four years
3: <laughs> I think the playing I get the sense players like playing for him uh but I think the coaching for him is yeah, you're right. You probably want to do it because he's a good coach, but if you he don't will want to help do you become <laughs> a
2: better coach, but he is a demanding right.
3: coach. Right, right. Uh, so, and then South Carolina. Um, so they, let's see, South Carolina. I thought I wrote this down. Here we go. Yeah. So they hired Drew Hughes. They hired Tracy Rocker. They lost Matt Lindsey. Ole Miss stole Matt Lindsay their director of player personnel and hired Lane Kiffin hired him as a GM and that's sort of a significant move because Matt Lindsay's really highly regarded so is Drew Hughes for that matter but Matt Lindsay sort of is a like he worked with the Eagles and Chip Kelly guy and um he was he's been with Bill Muschamp for a while so that he left for Ole Miss I thought was interesting and then they lose I guess I don't know if this is official yet but Brian McClendon Appears to be on his way out to the NFL, maybe. Thomas Brown is heading to the to the Rams, their running backs coach. And then John Scott Jr. after one year, their defensive line coach heads to Penn State who to replace Sean Spencer, who heads to the Giants. Can we talk about the Giants staff for a second? Okay. All right. Joe Judge of the Giants.
0: Miss- Mississippi right. State coaching candidate Joe Judge. <laughs>
3: Mississippi State <laughs> coaching front runner. Joe Judge, head coach of the Giants. All right. His coaching staff. Uh, All right. Offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett, Princeton guy. Defensive coordinator, Pat Graham, Yale guy. Uh, Ivy League coordinators. So we're off to a good start here. (laughs) And then after that, he's got special teams coordinators, Thomas McGoffee, who has been in the NFL bunch, but was a LSU special teams coordinator for like three years in the early 2010s. Then he's got Burton Burns, who's his running backs coach. Burton Burns has coached all the studs at Alabama. He's been an off field guy for Alabama the last couple wait, of Wait, 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 wait.
2: Burton Burns isn't a NASCAR driver? <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, far from it. Uh, Freddie Kitchens, former SEC assistant, uh, is a tight ends coach and Brown- former Alabama quarterback
0: and Browns head coach
3: and Browns head coach, obviously. Derek Dooley for Tennessee head coach is an off field offensive assistant. Sean Spencer for Vanderbilt D line coach, Penn State D line coach is the D line coach. Kevin Shearer, they hired it fr- from Tennessee, he was the inside linebackers coach. Brett Bielema, as we all know from Arkansas, Wisconsin, etc., is the outside linebackers coach. Jody Wright. Who was director of player personnel for a long time at Alabama is a defensive assistant. So you look at this this New York Giants coaching staff, and you're like, holy cow, this is a you know a couple really good coordinators and a bunch of stud recruiters. Man, this team's gonna crush it in the SEC. And then <laughs> yes. you're like, and you're like, oh, 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 oh this is for the NFL. Oh, uh, well, that'll be. Interesting. It's like, I don't know what to make of it, but it's, I, it's, it's, it's like this all-star college cast.
2: They are going to be killing it on the recruiting track.
3: <laughs> Someone needs to tell Joe Judge that you draft in the NFL.
0: No, I, listen, I, I think <laughs> that that sounds Undrafted like – Undrafted
2: free agents, you got to recruit them.
3: I, I
0: feel like that's a 100% hit rate, right? If you pick somebody, they pick you right back. That's right. It's, that's right. Yeah, it's easiest recruiting there is. So where are right, is most of the assistant coaching turnover post national signing day like our conversations about national signing day most of this movement is either in the SEC or at the very few non- SEC recruiting powerhouses
3: the heavy movement is the the there's like uh, two other ones of note Tim Brewster oh, I had thought to Florida. It was a, that's it that's it so North Carolina lost Tim Brewster to Florida which I think is a good sign for Dan Mullen as he tries to get into these big time recruiting battles because Tim Brewster has been a big game hunter on the recruiting trail back to his days with Mac Brown. Uh, and UNC doesn't really use a tight end anyways. So it makes sense for him to bounce. So I think that's a big hire for Florida to, to, to sort of put the foot on the gas in recruiting Sean Snyder of K state fame is heading to USC. That's going to be interesting to see a Snyder outside of Manhattan, Kansas. And then, Rutgers just keeps on loading up with Princeton guys. They got they got Sean Gleason, the former Princeton OC. Their offensive line coach is the the Princeton OC from this past year, and then they just added like the Princeton running backs coach as a as a quality control like off field or a, a, you know offensive assistant. Uh, so Rutgers may look a little bit like uh, like Princeton. A lot of Princeton guys getting jobs this cycle.
0: What does that mean for their uh for their outlook? Is Princeton just like constantly turning in like a like a five and five season?
3: No, Princeton's been pretty good lately. Okay. They and, and their offense has been really creative and uh so y- you know, you could see some cool stuff the and, uh, Back backdoor cuts.
0: Yeah, Princeton's got a Princeton offense joke it's <laughs> sitting right. there somewhere. That's right.
3: <laughs> uh, uh so anyways i had to sorry for geeking out on on assistant coaching carousel but it's it's been kind of interesting the last couple weeks
0: i would say the 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 note that i will probably take away from that report is to not be so hasty with my uh enthusiastic tennessee support going into 2020
2: yeah <laughs> like, hey, so dude, I, w- I was fully ready to be like on the tennessee band but right.
3: how much does that really change things for y'all i mean not too much does it, it i
2: mean Coaching turnover, I feel like consistency is always a good thing for any team. It's not exactly uh, something that I think is necessary or, you know, like a foundational thing for success, but I feel like it, it boosts success and that if you have to constantly churn staff, sometimes it's a lot harder. But again, Nick Saban seems to do okay with it.
0: I think that in the SEC, when we're talking about the smallest margins for error, and you're looking at a schedule that's probably going to have five or six toss-ups on it when you're doing your win total calculation. That detail, that little development on the coaching staff side, that might be enough for me to make one out of every you know eight times I run the simulation in my head break the other way. So it's a factor. It's not the factor, but it's a factor when trying to figure out what I'm expecting from the balls.
3: Maybe Pruitt just thrives on that, though. You know, <laughs> he might. these guys come in, he's gonna. You know, he's gonna—they're gonna coach his style, and he's gonna chew them up and spit them out a couple years later, and get a few new guys to coach his style. Well, it'll be—we'll find out this year.
0: We'll find find out out this year. year. Uh, All right, to the mailbag. This one from Cludmo. Coach Fritz Willie Fritz had some good success at the D two level at the University of Central Missouri. He seemed to perform even better when he moved to the FCS and now FBS as he has more accesses, more access and resources and better athletes. what power five teams do you think could have the most what power five th- teams do you think he could have the most success at and how could he compete with playoff contenders Willie Fritz power five jobs what would be a good fit and could he run with the big dogs?
3: That's obviously directed you may not have been specifically directed at him but uh, inherently, that is a Tom Fernelli question.
2: Uh I I mean this isn't a thing about Eli Drinkwitz, but I think Mizzou should have hired Willie Fritz, honestly. <laughs> I uh I feel like that's the kind of job where he would do good at. Because I think if any Power Five school is going to hire Fritz, it can't be one of the big dog teams that are competing for playoff spots that, you know, recruiting lifeblood kind of thing. I think it has to be one of the second tier kind of power five schools in this situation, because Fritz is a guy that needs to bring in his system and bring in his guys and build it up. Whereas he's just a good coach. So if you look, I would say it's not a particular school, but you know, I thought Willie Fritz would have been a good hire for Kansas state. They st- clearly looks like they made a good hire last year. I think that he would be a good hire for a lot of those kinds of teams. So Missouri, Kansas state, You know, if we're looking elsewhere in the Big Ten, I think a Texas Tech would be a good place for Willie Fritz in the Big Ten. We're talking about your Indianas, your Illinois, your Purdue's. Uh, You know, it's just, it's, I don't know if he's really, he's never really coached on the West Coast, so maybe the Pac-12 wouldn't be a great fit. But I just think that that's the kind of school that you're looking at where Willie Fritz would probably be the most successful. Again, I don't think he's, going to be going anywhere and winning conference title after conference title and completing for playoff burst, but I do think that he's a good program builder who could put together a very successful program to be proud of.
3: What about a Michigan State? What do you think about that?
2: I th- I would be perfectly happy with that. I would be thrilled with that. I think Willie could win there. I don't know if Michigan State fans would be happy with that.
3: Doesn't seem like the type that they're going
2: for. No
0: there are a lot of great football coaches that teach the game uh, at, at just an elite level, but running a college football program that is competing for national championships involves a lot more uh, that you need to bring to the table besides just coaching ball. Mm-hmm. And I will, Willie Fritz is clearly based on his resume one of the best that just teaching the game and especially teaching his offense and the kind of football teams that he wants to put together. But if you're talking about like running with playoff contenders, I don't even know if Willie Fritz is interested in all that it <laughs> takes to do that. You know, mm-hmm. he might just be comfortable coaching ball and if he can do that and make make good living, then, uh, then that might be enough for him. I will say that if Willie Fritz shows up at any of those uh, sort of like the because what you were mentioning with your illinois your indiana your kansas state your texas tech you're just basically talking about the like the the fringe or just outside of the in club like they're not the popular kids in the conference they're not the ones that get to sit at the best table when the whole conference gets together for retreats but you know like they're
2: invited to the party, but nobody's like saying their name when they walk in the door.
0: Right. Exactly. Like,
2: hey, it's Illinois here.
0: Yeah. You're, you're going to have a little bit of a chip on the shoulder and a Willie Fritz. Like we're just going to out execute you is a good, a good type of football team for a chip on the shoulder school. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't know about uh national championships. Uh, all right, let's do this little uh, proposition from J egg zero. Who do you see being the first to overtake the champion in their respective conference? And this, these are what he offered. Feel free to substitute. Florida State over Clemson, Texas over Oklahoma, Michigan over Ohio State, Auburn over Alabama, or USC over Oregon, which is number one. Wow, we've already cemented Oregon as the
3: uh, right. <laughs> the, Pac-
0: <laughs> the Pac-12 powerhouse. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, which, which of those do you think uh, – seems like it'll be the next one to happen.
3: So I think there's two ways of looking at this. I think you look at it in terms of just what, which is the first one to do it in a single year. And then the other way to look at it is which one is the first to do it over, like to where they are the class of the conference. Okay. Because I think that's a, like you could, I mean, Texas, it could happen next year, you know, it, so I mean, clearly the answer to me on that is is either Texas or USC. If I got to pick one, uh, I'm probably going Texas. Um, I think if we're talking about over an extended period of time, who was the first to be to become the premier team in that conference over the other, uh, I would say. I, I almost. I mean USC. Yeah. Yep. It wouldn't take much for USC to get back. Right. Right.
0: And and you know what? Florida State over Clemson. I say like I'm I'm pushing that off, but it's not because I don't believe in Mike Norvell getting Florida State to a good level. You're just talking about supplanting Clemson.
2: Like I agree. It, that's a tall mountain to climb.
0: Yeah. 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 Florida State can get to a place where it. I mean, it could be a top ten team in not too long. But you're talking about moving Clemson out of the way, Texas over Oklahoma. I agree that that could happen at any one time. Though Oklahoma probably does have the more uh, long-lasting power that's been established in the Big 12 era. Michigan over Ohio State, 14 out of or 15 out of 16, get out of here. Uh, and Auburn over Alabama. Auburn's done it. Like they've they've done it once. You know they've won the SEC West. You know, they've won uh, a couple Iron Bowls. They've, you know, Gus Malzahn's had a nice nice little taste of success against Nick Saban. But you can't tell me that Auburn is going to be moving Alabama out of the way. That conversation has to also involve an LSU or a Georgia or a Florida.
2: Yeah, I think Auburn is the likelier for any given season to do it because i mean well we just saw alabama didn't win the division this year and it's not won its division a couple times the last few years but i do i agree i think long term if we're just talking about to take over as the premier program in the conference i think usc over oregon is the most logical way to go in this question
0: all right uh this question's from wde frank Sounds like an Auburn fan. Auburn. Who does he root for? (laughs) Uh, Outside of the returning tier one quarterbacks, which he is defined as Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. If you could take one quarterback from any school and magically transfer them to another with no penalty, who would you move and to where for the 2020 season? Is there anyone who could propel a good team into a contender? Love the show. Can't wait for the book club.
3: Oh, nice. Love, love our book, The Club Enthusiasts. I got three.
0: Okay. Nice.
3: Okay. Uh, one is Sam Howell at North Carolina to Penn State. Don't
2: take my – no, why
0: are you
3: taking Sam Howell from me? <laughs>
2: I had Sam Howell too, but it's to, <laughs> not to Penn State.
3: So, look, I mean, hey, Sam Howell's a good quarterback. North Carolina's going to have a chance to go 9-3 and three next year. Because Sam Howell's a good quarterback, but Penn State needs a quarterback to win a national championship. They're they're close enough to be competing for national championships if they could just get an elite quarterback. And I think that'd be that'd be a nice gift to college football if North Carolina wouldn't mind just just hand them over. Um, so we'll let you, we'll let you as a as a North Carolina alum chew on that and think through it as I give you my second quarterback that could give us a national championship let's give jt daniels who's sitting on the bench anyways to steve insminger at lsu you know i'm I'm not super confident in miles brennan lsu for whatever reason has not taken too many swings in the transfer portal Um, i think that jt daniels based on his skill set, just sort of the quick release, the the ability to distribute sort of in a point guard kind of way fits what they did a lot this year at LSU. I think that could be fun. And then my last one, uh, sorry, Texas fans, I know you probably think that Sam oh, Ellinger no. <laughs> <doesn't>, <laughs> isn't just a quarterback on a, on a solid team that needs an upgrade. But Oregon could really use a quarterback as well. And I think, uh, for the good of college football, Sam Ellinger would be better utilized at Oregon.
0: Wow, taking an iconic Texas quarterback,
3: make and, him an iconic Oregon quarterback. I mean,
0: I haven't I haven't seen just some kind of dirt from Texas to Oregon since uh, what was his name, Willie Lyles?
3: That's right. Yeah, Lake Seastrunk.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh wow. Okay. Um. Lot to chew on there. I'm mm. st- still, still heard about Sam Howe. All right, Tom, where are you sending Sam Howe?
2: I was going to go back in time and reverse some decisions. I was going to send Sam Howe to Florida State.
3: Oh, ah, his original. Under Mike
2: Norvell, just kind of see how quickly he could get things going with Sam Howe there. And uh, another well, one.
3: On that one, though, just, uh, you know, the nice thing about Mike Norvell is he did sign a couple quarterbacks. And Brock Purdy, who is would have been the freshman All-American for everybody, if not for Trevor Lawrence two years ago, his little brother Chuba is on his way to Florida State. So, you know, I, I while I agree, Sam Howell at Florida State would be and would have been fun. I'm I'm sort of excited for the Chuba for the Chuba era in Tallahassee.
2: Uh, another one I had, which is somewhat canceled out because they went and got um, Jamie Newman. But I feel like Tanner Morgan at Minnesota would have been a perfect quarterback for Georgia.
3: To just keep being Jake Fromm?
2: I I think (laughs) to be a better Jake Fromm in a way. But I think that, you know, I don't think that's a huge, I don't know if he'd really turn them into a title contender because I kind of already considered Georgia to be that. But I thought that was an interesting fit. But my other one is I took Kadan Slovis and put him at Penn State. Just because I don't know if USC is going to be ready to win a national title by the time he leaves for the NFL. And I think that maybe throwing him at Penn State would be a way to accelerate what the Nittany Lions are doing. And the quarterback I had going to Oregon
3: was not Sam Ellinger,
2: but Jaden Daniels from Arizona State.
3: Mm. Oh, man. You're just going to gonna, you're just gonna Sorry, stop Herm. to all the Herm Edwards mo. Oops. All our all our love of Arizona State has just got I, I don't know I, how I feel about that. Who was the second one you mentioned again I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about him.
2: Uh, it was Tanner Morgan at Georgia? It yeah
3: was... okay. okay. so do you, uh, here's a question for you. You said you think it could be an upgrade. Do you think if Jake Fromm was at Minnesota this past year and Tanner Morgan was at Georgia this past year? How do you think the fortunes of those two teams would have been different?
2: I think they wouldn't have been all that different. I think, I think Fromm's numbers would have been better at Minnesota because I think that PJ Fleck would have let him do more. And I think that Morgan might have found himself in a similar situation that Fromm was in at Georgia, where He's kind of more reined in. Cause I think Tanner Morgan's greatest strength is his ability to push the ball down the field. Cause he's very good at that. And of course, he also had a couple very good targets to be able to do that with at Minnesota. So I think that if Georgia is serious about, you know, and again, we talked about this before. We are a pro-Georgia podcast with Todd Munkin there now. I think that Tanner Morgan going to that offense could be a could be very much Brandon whedon ish with like he had at Oklahoma State for you know, the bulldog. So I, 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 that was just the kind of thing. So I think Tanner Morgan is a very good quarterback that not re doesn't really get a whole ton of attention simply because he's Minnesota and obviously Minnesota just had a great season. So people are more aware of him, but it's just the further I dig in on him, the more impressed I get. And I feel like if he was playing at a premier program, he'd be somebody whose NFL draft type would have already started.
3: That's interesting. I just, um, I am, uh, I'm, I'm interested in the concept that Tanner Morgan would be or could be an upgrade from Jake Fromm. I'd never thought of that. Um, you know, that's a, that's an interesting thing to, to 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 think about.
0: I would put. Uh, do you think that Dylan Gabriel would get crushed in the SEC? I could put him on a bus from Orlando to Gainesville. Yes.
2: Okay. I I listen. There's a lot I like about Dylan Gabriel, but there is a whole lot of just chuck the ball up in his game. Yeah, that I think that he's tiny too. Yeah,
0: if you're gonna put him
3: on a bus from Orlando to where Gainesville. Uh, okay.
2: Going back to Taylor Tanner Morgan, if you look at the top four quarterbacks in the country in efficiency rating this year, Joe Burrow was number one, Jalen Hurts was number two, Justin Fields was number three, Tanner Morgan three points behind Justin Fields and fourth in the country. Yeah, exactly. Averaging over ten yards an attempt,
3: but he certainly had a more friendly offense than Jake mm-hmm. Fromm for a quarterback. Oh yeah, I'll for sure. Uh, I don't, and I, I do think I bet. So, you can't send Jake Fromm up north though, because Jake Fromm has small hands, and that's going to be an issue <laughs> in the, on the deep ball. <laughs> uh, but sending Tanner Morgan down south, that could that could be interesting.
0: All right, are you guys? Uh book club time. Four years. Oh, I had Dylan Gabriel going from uh, UCF Florida. to Florida. Yeah. Yeah. That was it? Uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, y'all... I, y'all I, would, I would take Trevor Lawrence and send him to Champaign. I would...
0: Uh, <laughs> I would take Justin Fields and put him at Oregon. I would take uh Sam Howell, and I would send him to Texas. Is Sam Howell an upgrade at Texas over Sam Ellinger?
3: Uh, I can't I cannot I can't get there. I mean I maybe, but you wouldn't you can't do that to Sam Ellinger. I don't think I don't think sophomore year
2: Sam Howell is better than a possible senior year, Sam Ellinger. I think that senior Sam Howe might be better than senior sam ellinger
0: buddy we ain't seeing senior sam Howe.
2: that's my, yeah that's what i'm saying i think that he's got a much higher ceiling
0: uh all right well uh here we go live let's 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 open the door and let's take a look into the cover three book club cover three.
3: <laughs> was that, at first i thought that uh you hired like a choir to to sing the cover three book club jingle but then i realized they were the like the oompa loompas <laughs> it's like a, a choir of oompa loompas
0: yeah it's a per, it's a percussive choir
3: um it's great yeah good jingle man
0: uh you're up what's what's the uh what's the first what's the first edition of the cover three book so, club
3: Look, I thought it would only be fitting to, to start the Cover 3 Book Club off with the book that inspired the Cover 3 Book Club, uh, which is Range by David Epstein, okay? So the Cover 3 Book Club is going to be, since we're friends, you know, the three of us are friends, all of, of the our listeners are our friends as well. We're fairly like-minded with the exception of when our eyes glaze over as Tom talks about soccer uh but (laughs) how dare you uh, but other than that you know we you know this is the off season this is reading season because otherwise all we're doing is watching football in our spare time so it's good to have recommendations from our friends so the cover three book club is going to be our weekly recommendation and i would encourage five-star reviews and our our listeners to give us some recommendations as well so uh Anyways, Range by David Epstein. Here's here's why I love it. This is, I I love this book. Here's why. So I read the Range by David Epstein, which is about uh, generalists in a world of specialization. And the reason I loved it is because I looked at it from a personnel player development standpoint. Like i have always big on guys that play multiple sports. Uh, I feel like that's a a big indicator of future success. And so I read it because I thought it was gonna sort of be a book all about that. Uh, in actuality, it's got like one chapter of that and the rest of the book is just about all the different ways of experiences and the, uh, uh, you know, the ways you can sort of enrich things by not specializing and, and how that can help you in all sorts of different tasks without you realizing it. And sort of the, um, and so, as i go through like what we do and i'm just sitting there like thinking about how you know i got to be watching as much football as possible and i got every book i got to read has to be about football and like if i'm not doing that what's like what's the point like if i'm not reading about like parenting or my work like am i even am i just wasting my time but i think the thing i took away from range is that it sort of empowers you to experience as much as you can as late as you want because it's all applicable. Like if you want to read a book about whatever the you know, World War One, it doesn't it has nothing to do with football, but like there's lessons you can learn that you can apply and you can solve problems using the different things that you learn from different books or from different experiences. Like the other thing I think about is when I was in college, like I took a fifth year and I was like the twenty three year old guy going to the 22 year old guy on campus or whatever. And I felt like I was so old and I just wanted to just get out of there and get in the workplace because I felt like all my friends were like getting ahead of me. And I was just like the the creep at the college parties. And that's true. It was good to get out of college, but like I shouldn't have been in a rush to get like a, some sort of real job, which I got, which I hated. Like you could go play like some of my buddies played football in Europe and it was just a, six month vacation but like the experiences and different perspectives you get over there you, know, you can take and add that to any scenario and so i love the idea now of just sort of being you know everything counts you know just because you take a, a trip overseas somewhere and you're taking a week off of work like whatever you pick up from that trip you can sort of apply to any job you you have in different ways i it's just I, I I really like the book because of the way it sort of empowers you to just experience and <laughs> and so I'm gonna read about uh, whatever I want do you, do you have matter, any if chapter so
0: do you have any chapter that stood out that uh, really resonated with you or like any, any all good. particular story they really
3: are uh, they really are they're all good I mean I uh, like I used the uh, I've used the um, quote uh good judges are great belief updaters a lot like that that really resonates with me because so often we get like hunkered down into our opinions and just everything we do is then built to strengthen that opinion as opposed to just get like gathering more information and being willing to accept that information and change and let that influence you in a different way and and so that that's been that's been something that I really kind of that, that probably is my biggest, my favorite line from that book. But there's all kinds of great stuff. It talks about the difference between like the Tiger Woods um, method of um,
2: specialization.
3: Yeah, like specializing in golf and the way he built up it, and, and, and how golf and chess and some of these activities are very, you know, Specialization can really benefit you, but then the, the um, Roger Federer version was like he never really played all sorts of sports. His parents didn't let him focus in and, and really do serious competition until later in his life, and all those different elements of athleticism uh, really helped his game, and the drive to compete helped his game Because he didn't get burnt out on it when he was like six years old or like 10 years old going on the national tennis circuit or whatever. So uh, parents out there that are, you know, your kids are doing ladder drills 12 months out of the year to get ready for their football season. I think you're doing it wrong.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I've read range as well. And I read it right after i read another book called peak which is it's like a yin and yang kind of thing because peak is a book that kind of talks about the whole tiger woods method and like deliberate practice and specialization and how if a person spends a lot of times particularly if you start your you know like a kid young and have them specialize in one thing that's the best way to become you know a savant or a genius or an expert whatever kind of word you want to use for that one particular thing and there's like science and studies that show that this is capable and this is how it works like you know mozart wasn't just some kid that was born that knew how to play all these instruments and write music it's like literally all he did from a very young age and it became who he was because of it and then you go into range which is like Barta talked about where it You know, it covers pretty much the benefit of being well-rounded, of not just focusing on one thing. And I think the best way to summarize the message behind it is never stop learning, I feel like, is a way to do it. Just don't settle for any one thing and say, okay, that's the way this is. Or think of who you're – even not just I'm talking about forming an opinion, but thinking of who you are as a person. Don't say, you know, Chip, I'm a podcaster. I'm a college football writer. Barton, I'm, you know, the recruiting guy for 24-7. Tom, you're, you know, a college football writer. Don't ever just decide that's who you are and focus on being that. Because there's, you know, you could still do all those things while still learning a whole lot more about a whole lot of different things. And there's other ways to learn. And like you said too, like with traveling, I always felt like traveling the world is one of the best things anybody can do just as far as getting new perspectives on the way that the world works. Because if you look at how our lives go, so much of the time we're kind of focused on that one thing that's the most important thing in our life at the moment, whether it's our relationships or whether it's our jobs, whatever. And you don't often think about how the world works for other people in other situations. And I think that doesn't really do us a whole lot of good. So after reading those two books, I'm much more strongly identified with range than I did with peak, although I think both have very good points and things that are worth considering. I think that range is probably the quote unquote better way to go about things.
3: So and. To to relate it to football too. So we talked to, with Stephen Prather, who's from Sports Source Analytics, who does a bunch of coaching stuff. And, and one of the things he always talks about too is like, a most important thing for a coach about beyond all the X and O stuff is hire someone smart. And mm-hmm. and he also says like, and I think this is a great point is it's important. I think it's like coaches will a lot of coaches, not all, but a lot of coaches are like, you know, they take that that workout every day really seriously. They got to get their workout in, you know, to get their to be sharp and, and stay disciplined on that front. I, I really think for anybody, but especially for coaches too, you know, it's okay for your 17 hour grind work day where you're in at 5. AM and you're leaving at 11 PM as, as, as much as those coaches grind themselves out, like if they're not budgeting in, Hey, like a little bit of time in the morning or whatever, to just read a non football book. Like, I think that helps, sharpen their mind and I think it's something that's important for everybody. Um, like, and how about, you know, Scott Frost hire Matt Lubick away from the credit union and hey, that dude's probably bringing some great spreadsheet uh, details, <laughs> Excel expertise he didn't have when he was a coach. So like, it's, it's it, the, the the switching of, of career paths is also a central theme in, in, in range as well uh, because it's just You know, talks about how, you know, and and which is why in a lot of ways, I think coaching hires should be outside the box as well. Um, You know, look at what Lance Leopold's done at at Buffalo. You know, he didn't have the experience of FBS coaching, but I bet he took a lot of those things and he's smart and he learned from the D3 level and can relate them really well. I just, I just think that uh, those sort of things are things you can kind of take from range.
0: I like uh, when coaches start passing around a book. You can tell that they don't read many books about (laughs) non-football stuff, but when they find one that they like and it starts working its way around, like remember when everybody got on uh, the energy bus by John Gordon? (laughs) Yeah. Every football coach was was swearing by the energy bus uh, and passing it around and talking about it. Hey, you know what? Maybe – the Cover 3 Book Club, Book Club Cover 3 will be uh, a source for coaches to find the next book that's going to take the whole scene and industry by storm. Maybe if it's not already, maybe it's going to be range with David Epstein.
3: Hey, should be. Be smart to do it.
0: I've got a book to read, and uh, now the listeners do too. Both of you have. And I could add peak too. It's complimentary, uh, complimentary content right there. Tom will be up next week in the book club. We'd like to thank you for joining, uh, especially for this entire mailbag episode. So if you have a recommendation for the book club, you can do that by giving us a five-star review, uh, leave the recommendation in there. We'll add it to the book club, might even read it, come back and talk about it. Uh, If you want to get any question for a future mailbag, you can do that with the five-star review as well. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Good
1: okay, picture this.